The gospel lesson this morning is from the book of uh, John, uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 3 through 8. Would you please rise for the reading of the gospel? Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that what I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to a time of children's message this morning, I want to share with you that I've had this in my pocket every Sunday for the last 20 years. Every time I've led worship, I've had, it's a little stone, it's blue in color, and I've kept it in my pocket. You're probably curious why. So when I started ministry, there was someone, a clergy person, who did a remembrance of baptism. They put stones in the bottom of the baptismal font, and they poured water, and we had a reaffirmation of baptism, and they said, remember, God loves you. You are made in the image of Christ. And so I keep it in my pocket, and every once in a while you might notice I kind of seem like I'm playing a little bit with my pocket. I'm rubbing my finger on the stone to remind me, God made me in the image of Christ. It wasn't just me, I promise. Each and every one of us has the exact same blessing. God loves you and made you in the image of Christ. I hope you noticed that I have sitting out here a baptismal font. And uh, your, that's the baptismal picture. And a little bit later in the service, we're going to do a reaffirmation. And I'm going to invite you to come forward and pull out one of these blue stones from the baptismal font. Because I'm hoping that you will remember too. God loves you. And you are made in the image of Christ. I sometimes do this when things have been a little hard. <laughs> Never happens in the church, but things have been a little hard, um, or I need to remember because I'm a little discouraged. May it be also for you that you tuck it in a, a pocket, maybe of your coat or maybe of something you wear regularly, because we need to remember this. Would you pray with me and we'll ask God to help us. We'll, we'll echo back and forth. Dear God, we thank you that you love us. You made each of us in your image. Help us to tell others. 
Amen. This morning's praise song is a beautiful song. It's called You Are My Hiding Place. Um, it's pretty easy. The words repeat like a lot of praise songs do. So you catch on to the melody. The words will be on the screen. Please sing along when you're ready. church, there was a sweet and feisty uh, older woman with a white braid circling her head and an uneven kind of a gait, and her name was Adeline. She told me the very first time that we met, write this down. I want born and cry at my funeral. Do you know the song? I did, but this didn't stop her from sharing she'd first heard it at a United Methodist Women's National Gathering, and then she began to sing for me, first time we met. I was there to hear your morning cry. I'll be there when you're old. I rejoiced the day you were baptized to see your life unfold. She said, I've been through it, and God never left me. I want other people to know God. Often you and I come to God through music. Pastor Margie opened our series last Sunday with the song of faith, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a familiar, well-loved hymn. Today, we turn to one that may not be as familiar 
to you. You all will let me know. I was there when you were but a child with a faith to suit you well. In a blaze of light, you wandered off where demons dwell. When you heard the wonder of the word, I was there to cheer you on. You were raised to praise the living God to whom you now belong. It was in 1899 that Henry Oso Tanner painted Nicodemus. Tanner's father was a bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and his faith was well established. Mr. Wanamaker, as the Wanamaker stores, sent him on a trip to the Holy Land, where Tanner walked in the footsteps of Jesus, and he painted this painting afterwards. Nicodemus came to Jesus under the cover of night, desiring to learn more. That was the gospel lesson that Cliff read for us. From that wisdom, Tanner places this conversation on a rooftop, under the cover of night, with the Palestinian landscape in the back. He also used some local folks from the Holy Land so that he could paint appropriately Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this Pharisee and member of the Sanhedrin, was moved by the teachings of Jesus, but he didn't come when everyone else did during the day. He came at night. Jesus is teaching him about transformation. Maybe you caught it twice in the passage. You must be born from above. Translators can translate that either from the beginning or return to God. Nicodemus returns to God. You might recollect this Easter was not so long ago. In the days of Jesus' death, and he shares his resources, what he has. In John's Gospel, we heard that Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds of spices to attend to the body of Jesus. Just so that you and I understand, about one pound is what a usual burial would have used at that time. So I hope you hear the extravagance of what he gave. Likely, if we were going to see how much it costs today, between $150,000 and $200,000. That's a big gift that he gave. If you find someone to share your time and join your hearts as one in the middle ages of your life, not too long, not longer young, I'll be there to guide you through the night to complete what I've begun. Our Wednesday Bible study has been studying the book of Acts together this year. Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus, and you might remember, they just stand there and stare as Jesus leaves. They're not quite sure what to do. The whole rest of the book of Acts is the answer to, what should we be doing now that Jesus is not walking among us? We heard a little bit of this in the portion that Cliff read. It really was a geography lesson. If you caught all the places around the map, you would have had a full missionary journey. But we also had a lot of people. There was Nicodemus in John, Timothy with his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. You kind of remember them a little bit. 
And Luke puts himself into the missionary journey. There was the uh, man from Macedonia who calls out of the dreams. And I hope you didn't miss it. There was Lydia, the businesswoman, who brings her whole entire household for baptism. On this missionary journey, Paul responds to a vision and changes course. He was kept from going to Asia by the Holy Spirit. He could have certainly been disappointed. He could have certainly shrugged his shoulders, not knowing what to do. But he goes to Macedonia, responding to the wisdom of the Spirit. Macedonia was previously a world power under Philip of Macedonia and Alexander the Great, about 160 years before the birth of Christ, it became a Roman province. And Macedonians were regarded as barbarians by the Greeks. When Paul arrives, he finds there aren't men gathered and there isn't a synagogue. It was certainly a surprise to him what he found. It was home to an imperial cult, and there were lots of other gods about. The Jewish present in Thyresia was so minor that they didn't have the collection of men required for a synagogue. That's 10. So keep that in mind. There were less than 10 men present. So the few who met outside of the city fulfilled these purification rites that were required by the Jewish faith. Now, you all will know Lydia because she is a maker of purple. I thought of you, Kirsten. She's a lover of purple, right? Takes the skill of this dye from shellfish to make purple dye. And Lydia's a seller of purple. This is the only time we hear this occupation in the whole of the scriptures. We hear that it's hard to extract purple. You need thousands of shellfish for one yard. So an emperor who would have a whole toga of purple would be very expensive. So this is a lucrative business that Lydia has. She's also described Lydia as someone who is pious, having previously been polytheistic. That's in the Greek. So she's come to her faith from another faith. So Lydia is already at the bank of the river, and Paul and Silas baptize her with her whole household. Probably her younger siblings, maybe some children, some nieces, some nephews, maybe she had some grandkids, some hired servants or enslaved people. Lydia shows us what it's like to live into your baptism. Because the very next thing that comes is she supports Paul. Paul gets in jail. He does this a couple of times. And she is the one who supports him financially with resources while he's in jail. The writer of Luke Acts likes for the gospel to be for all people. So right after we hear the story of Lydia's family being baptized, we get the jailer's family being baptized as well. In Lydia, we learn about the openness, God's movement in her heart. Did you catch that? The Lord opened her heart. You and I are also called to live 
live into our baptisms. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, taught that sacraments are a dependable means of grace. This means that God's grace operates through a channel, baptism and Holy Communion. They're always present for God's grace. The theologian Frederick Buechner answered a question about baptism this way. He said, baptism consists of getting dunked or sprinkled. Which technique is used matters as much as whether you are praying kneeling or standing on your head. That is to say, it doesn't matter at all. He said, I'm asked a question about how about infant baptism? Shouldn't you wait till the child grows old enough to know? And he says this, if you think there isn't as much of a less than human in an infant as anyone else, you've lost touch with reality. When it comes to the forgiving and transforming nature of God, one wonders if a six-week-old screecher knows much less than the Archbishop of Canterbury about what's going on. That is to say, we all come as infants before Christ. In baptism, Lydia, her household, each of us joins the household of God. When one is baptized, we receive them with open arms. When you are baptized, you too are received with open arms. You get a new identity found in the grace of Jesus who can transform lives from the inside out, a disciple, a child of God. Now, I have to say the cost of discipleship was high. It really still is high. Likely some of the members of their families rejected them when they were baptized, broke bonds with them. Lydia and her household, Timothy and Luke, Nicodemus and others, when they were following Jesus, they had to reject the way of the emperor. It cost her business, quite a bit of business. Additional taxes and levies. Depending on the emperor or the governor, this could mean bodily harm. For some, this could even mean lives. When the evening gently closes in, when you shut your weary eyes, I'll be there, as I have always been, with just one more surprise. I was there to hear your warning cry. I'll be there when you are old. I rejoiced the day you were baptized to see your life unfold. For each of us, we give thanks to God for our baptisms and look for God's continuing transformation at each and every stage of our lives. Friends, this is the gospel. This is good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.